Hey everyone, are you ready to revamp your summer wardrobe so you're ready for all the sunny days ahead? Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash heel. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash heel to get up to 50% off your first month. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect summer wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then, when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. Women always want to feel fresh and confident in the latest trends, but it's not sustainable nor healthy to shop all the time. The clutter that collects in my closet closet and the waste I create with nonstop shopping are no bueno. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high quality designer clothing for every occasion and then send it back. Whether you're planning your outfit for a date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a dress for a black tie event, you will have everything you need to look and feel great without the weight of an overcrowded closet and all that wasted money and materials that come with it. Trust me, Marie Kondo and the environment will thank you. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash heel. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash heel to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to The Heal Podcast. I'm Kelly Noonan-Gores, and every week I speak to the leading doctors, healers, spiritual teachers, and scientists to find out what is truly possible when it comes to healing. I also interview real people with extraordinary healing stories. My philosophy is what's possible for one is possible for all. Hey guys, it's Kelly Noonan-Gores. I'm the host of The Heal Podcast, and this is a solo episode so you can get to know me. I'm often asked anytime I'm a guest on another podcast or in a Q&A after a Heal screening, what led me to bite off this big undertaking and make Heal the documentary and then follow up with The Heal book and now, of course, The Heal Podcast. What drove me to do it? So I figured it's worth the time, and I'll try to be brief, to give a little backstory and frame out my life so you could see, you know, the steps that led me to making Heal, uh, which truly was a calling in my heart. There was not really a choice to make it or, or not. I was so pulled by this vision to make this film, and hopefully this episode will help you understand how I got to make Heal. So... As with everything, I think we should start in my childhood. I was raised in Southern California. My dad was a commercial airline pilot. I have one older brother who's two years older than me. And my amazing mother is just a superwoman. You know, she's a a super housewife and raised us, you know, as her full-time job. My parents are still married, although as with any relationship, you know, they were called the Bickersons (laughs) by my brother and I. So... We had a great, beautiful childhood, but, you know, there's just some generational stuff that we all have to unpack and unwind as we go through life um, and heal our inner child wounds, you know. 
So there's a little bit of that, but, you know, really I had just a very blessed, balanced life. My mom got my brother, who's two years older than me, everybody kept stopping her on the street saying, your child is so cute. You got to get him an agent. And we lived in Southern California. So she explored it. She was far from a pushy stage mom. She was, she's super chill and super awesome. So she got my brother an agent and then she would drag me along as, you know, to his auditions and stuff. And he didn't really take to it. He didn't love it as much as it turned out that I did. So I ended up getting the same agent and I started working in print work and commercials at the age of five, which I loved. So that kind of built this foundation of growing up in the entertainment industry, being on sets. um, And eventually when I started doing movies and television, I just got to be around that powerful medium of storytelling through film. Another thing I think it's important to mention is I was raised Catholic. So I'm a recovering Catholic. Just kidding. It's a running joke in my circle because there's a lot of guilt and shame that just comes embedded in in religion sometimes. And so, but I came from, you know, my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family, both my grandparents uh, were devout Catholics. We'd always go to church and I loved it. You know, there was parts of the Catholic church that I just loved, the tradition, the history, the stories of Jesus, the parables. I loved all that. And my brother was an altar boy. I mean, we were like super Irish Catholic. Um, There came a time in my adolescence when you get confirmed in the Catholic faith. And I started questioning. I had a bunch of Jewish friends who had really cool bar and bat mitzvahs. And I'm like, well, what's, you know, why am I confirming to Catholicism if I haven't learned about Judaism or Islam or Buddhism, which I know isn't technically religion. But I was just like, you know what? I want to explore before I confirm. And, you know, I think it was a little bit of a commitment issues that I had growing up. And then my mom looks back and she says, no, you just wanted to get out of confirmation classes. But I would like to think that I was so spiritually advanced that I wanted to study all religious philosophies before committing to one. And I did have some sense that at the base of every religion, there was this universal truth of love and community, faith, higher power, higher intelligence. And each religion is just a different cultural clothing dressing. And that was my kind of thought. So after I didn't get confirmed uh, for Catholicism, uh, we kind of became like a holiday church-going family, which is cool. We still go, you know, Easter and Christmas. But I kind of went through a phase, I think, in high school where I was questioning everything, like most of us do. So I questioned if I was agnostic or atheist. It was much more like a practical cause and effect kind of thing. I felt a little bit at the whim of destiny. But at the same time, I was just this like super confident kid who thought they were invincible, which I think is a pretty standard trait of a teenager. You think you know more than everybody and you think you're invincible, which leads to stupid decisions. One of such decisions, I asked my parents if I could go camping. Well, I really asked my mom because my dad was the like authoritarian, like military guy. So wasn't going to ask him because I know the answer would be no. But he was out of town on a flying trip. And I asked my mom, I said, you know, there's a group of kids going camping down in San Onofre. Do you mind if I go? And of course, there's no supervision. I think I was 16 or 17 at the time. And she said, yes, just be responsible. I'm sure there's drinking. Just like, don't get sick. You know, don't do anything stupid. So I come home and I had definitely like slept out in the cold in a bush in a sleeping bag with, you know, bunch of people and drinking was involved. Anyways, I was sick for a week. 
flu-like symptoms, I was out. When I recovered, my glands my, in my throat, my lymph nodes, didn't go down. They just remained like these rock-hard golf balls for many weeks and months. So my mom took me to the doctor. They tested me for mononucleosis. They tested me for Epstein-Barr. Both of those tests came back negative. So they just gave me a course of antibiotics. That antibiotic didn't work. Glands were still swollen. They tried another antibiotic. Back then, we didn't know the detriment of antibiotic treatment, wiping out the gut microbiome. So of course, we just did what the doctor said. Tried the third antibiotic, nothing worked. So I just continue on. And and six months later, when they still hadn't gone down, my mom was getting concerned. And so we went to get a lymph node biopsy, put me under general anesthesia, cut open my neck, biopsy came back normal. But it was kind of traumatic to go into a major surgery and, and, you know, all that comes with that and the general anesthesia. So After all of that, inconclusive, just still chilling with these golf balls in my neck, I go to my mom's chiropractic appointment, and the chiropractor felt my glands and suggested that I take a shot of vinegar, apple cider vinegar, and, you know, kind of gargle it and then swallow it for the next week and see what happens. Sure enough, six, seven days later, my glands started going down. By like eight or nine days, they were completely back to normal. So after a year of antibiotics and surgery and all this other stuff, you know, the answer was found on a health food store shelf. That was kind of planted a seed of skepticism uh, towards conventional medicine and a tendency towards natural remedies. I went off to college at Berkeley. Uh, I was deciding between Berkeley and UCLA. And at the time I wanted to take a break from acting. I just wanted to be normal and, uh, you know, not miss out on any social events in my senior year in high school. So I kind of took a break from acting and thought, you know, I'm too smart to be an actress. Well, I know a lot of smart actors now, but that was my judgment as a high school teenager. Uh, So I went off to Berkeley to figure out what I wanted to do. And so for two years, I took exploratory classes in poli-sci, communication, film. I didn't take any theater classes. I took just the gamut, art history, Uh, to see what I would be interested in doing. And I'm interested in so much, but nothing really pulled me in one direction. Socially, I joined a sorority. I met such wonderful people, but I saw most of the women around me getting really quick, tight relationships with other women. I had left behind at home such a tight-knit group of friends that I had grown up with, and we were all so close through high school. And now I was away from them for the first time. And I made friends, but I didn't I'm, I'm just not so quick to become best friends with new people. And I saw everybody around me becoming insta-best friends with people, um, almost as if like college was a fresh start for them. And part of me just felt like, I don't know, it takes time to cultivate relationships. Or maybe I was just, it was just foreign for me to be away. And And this kind of resulted in me feeling depressed for the first time in my life. And I think weather was a real factor. It was much foggier up in the East Bay of California than it was in Southern California. So I was used to a lot more sunshine. Um, I think poor diet, you know, I was on a very strict budget. So $2 pizza for lunch every day was pretty standard. And then drinking booze every night and ordering cheese sticks at 2 a.m. Kraft macaroni and cheese, these things, you know, are gonna eventually affect your mood as well. So I think it was a combination. So I decided after my sophomore year that I needed to make a change because I just didn't feel right. I felt heavy in my body. I gained weight. I just wasn't connecting like I had connected 
my whole life and the weather. At the same time, I was kind of like, okay, I'm not finding any passion here in school. Uh, So I kind of want to go back. Every time I'd watch a film, I was like, I got to go back to LA and, and start acting again. That's my passion. So I transferred to UCLA because I decided to apply too late. It was when I got home for the summer. They delayed me until the spring. So I had two quarters off to go do fun things. So my brother was going to Australia, which I thought was very cool. And even though he and I weren't too close growing up, we were just very different people. um, We were a little bit more mature now. And I said, hey, can I go with you on your photo project? It was his senior project from Santa Cruz. And he was such a good photographer. They were like, pick anywhere in the world that you want to go and and do a photo project, uh, which is awesome. And I said, can I hold your bag and travel with you? And, And he said, sure. So we go down to Australia, we bond. It was a beautiful, beautiful trip. We saw the most amazing sights and experienced some crazy shit. But the best part of it was we, we've we never been closer and we've been close ever since. So that was a beautiful uh, journey that we took. But a pivotal moment was a guy that I met down there, this lifeguard from Manly Beach, he gave me a book called Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. Started reading it on the flight home, which you all know is very long from... Australia to Los Angeles, and I couldn't put it down. It resonated on such a deep core, the way that Marianne Williamson talked about fear versus love and all her studying of the Course in Miracles um, and all her struggles and vulnerability that she shared. It just resonated, and I, I identified so much with her story and also her definition of faith and how if we come from love, we can create heaven on earth. If we come from fear, we're creating hell on earth. That was my spiritual true north. It just resonated to my core. So looking back, I realized my depression in in my first two years in Berkeley really was because I was just spiritually starving. Like I had no rudder. I was just lost. I didn't have anything grounding me in faith. And I was just lost, coupled with cloudy weather, poor diet, and booze, of course. Anyways, so went back, started studying at UCLA, started acting again. When I graduated from UCLA, I was in my 20s. It was all about learning about myself. And I wanted to be, obviously, I had lofty goals as an actor, (laughs) just like everybody in LA comes to LA to win that Academy Award or become that supermodel or whatever the dream is. And I was just getting stuck. I wasn't free. I was very self-conscious in my acting because I was a people pleaser. And these are all based on my childhood programming. I was a people pleaser. I felt I wasn't good enough. I tried to do it right and get the straight A, all of these things that are constrained and not conducive to freedom of expression and, and you know, the talent access that someone like Meryl Streep has, where she's just open and fearless and amazing. So I started exploring healers and trying to see different people to get to to give me feedback about myself and maybe subconscious beliefs or energy blocks or past life stuff, anything I could do to clear and get out of my own way and increase my belief in my self-worth and all of that. So that's when I started exploring different healing modalities. So in about 2007, like many actors in LA, I was waiting tables at this really nice restaurant in Santa Monica. And the bartender gave me this film, uh, this DVD, back then it was DVD, called The Secret. And it really woke me up to this idea that we are co-creators with life and our thoughts and our beliefs and our emotions and our actions all 
send out signals to in this quantum field that we're all connected with. And it determines our experience. It, you know, we attract like attracts like. So if we're, you know, if we start our day stubbing our toe and then we have negative thoughts and then it's just going to spiral and it's just going to, you know, go downward spiral into negativity. And we've all experienced that. And I know there's been, you know, mixed feelings about the secret, but there was just some major shifts in the way I looked at life and, and just the fact that I understood things now that were all energy and everything is connected. I felt very empowered. One of the main things that I took away, one of the tools that I took away was gratitude journaling. And ever since I saw The Secret, I've been gratitude journaling ever since. And I can tell you that within three months of watching The Secret, I manifested through this gratitude journal work and through, you know, my thoughts and beliefs, I just, I manifested this amazing job where I didn't have to wait tables anymore. I didn't even know it existed, but based on the qualities that I was writing in my gratitude journal, like I'm so happy and grateful now that, so something I I was writing about something I wanted as if I already had it and imagining it and feeling the feelings, you know, this job came into my life. I booked the job. I was making four times as much money as I was before, but I still had the flexibility to pursue acting. Uh, and it was, I was just like, holy moly, this shit really works. So that was one kind of launch point. Because of The Secret, I started going to Agape because Michael Beckwith was in The Secret and I loved his vibe. And so I checked out Agape because it was in Culver City. It was in LA. And I looked around the room and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my spiritual family. It was a diverse group of people of all ages, sizes, colors, economic backgrounds, just a beautiful array, a microcosm of the world. I just saw this international, beautiful group of people and community. And when Michael got up on the stage and was, you know, giving his talks every Sunday, he would just be channeling the divine. And the message was always so empowering. And it had to do, you know, with this, we are co-creators with life, with God. I was feeling very high vibrations. So here I am doing my gratitude journaling, understanding that our thoughts become things. Now I'm going to agape. And part of agape is, you know, meditation. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I dabbled in meditation. And then my yoga teacher at the time, who I was taking yoga at uh, Equinox Gyms, was this guy named Light Watkins. And he's like, hey, I'm teaching a meditation course. It's four days, um, transcendental meditation. Do you want to come? And I was like, sure. So I learned meditation and I remember the, the class being so profound. When you meditate together, you just, the, the field changes so deeply that I had very profound experiences at the beginning because we were meditating in a group. Then I'd go home and I'd do it on my own and it was harder to get into those profound depths of, but I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I haven't stopped practicing since. And I can tell you without a doubt that meditation has been the most transformative tool in my life and has just changed who I am fundamentally as a person and how I respond to the world. So obviously meditation is a big part of HEAL. So that was a big part. So as I'm meditating, as I'm attending an agape, I start to just you know, inundate my psyche with these teachings. So I, I would listen, I'd run, I was training for marathons. So I'd run seven to 10 miles and listen in my headphones about Abraham Hicks and Esther Hicks books on tape, which is all about the law of attraction and energy. And and that was empowering. If I was driving to an audition and sitting in rush hour traffic, I was just inundating my psyche with Dr. Wayne Dyer and change your thoughts, change your life and the power of intention. Every book that he read, I mean, that he wrote 
I listened to. I loved, loved, loved Dr. Wayne Dyer. And then Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. I just inundated my, my consciousness with these teachings of these people. And then at the same time where I was meditating and calming myself, ironically, I was experiencing a little acid reflux and constipation. So some digestive issues, which if you're a female, is pretty standard, but it's, it's not normal. You know, we, we, we start, because things are common, doesn't mean they're normal. And so I was like, this is not normal. I'm healthy. I'm running marathons. I'm meditating. I'm feeling amazing, but I have these gastro uh, issues. So I went to a gastroenterologist and he was like, well, nothing's wrong. So, you know, he didn't ask me much about my diet. He just said, take Prilosec uh, and gave me a bunch of free samples. And I was like, Prilosec? Prilosec's for old people. Like only old people take pills. I just, it didn't even fat, like cross my mind that I would have to take a pill for the rest of my life for an acid problem. So around the same time, I realized from my energy understanding and, and you know, my learning at Agape and what I learned from The Secret, I was holding on really tightly, you know, really wanting acting to work out. And I really wanted to be successful. And so I knew I had learned enough that when you hold on to something and you're grasping, you're actually pushing it away. So I decided to take my attention off of acting for a minute and take a course in something else I was passionate about. And because I had this gastro issue, I was like, well, maybe I should learn about nutrition. But at the same time, I wanted to explore the spiritual psychology you know, arena. And there's this University of Santa Monica in Santa Monica that's a spiritual psychology degree. So I was, I was weighing between the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, uh, which many of you are familiar with, and the University of Santa Monica. Well, I looked at the coursework and IIN had a little bit of lighter load and you could do it more flexibility than USM. So I decided to just dive into IIN. So as I start to learn about in the you know integrative nutrition and bioindividuality, it woke me up to like, oh my gosh, duh, you're getting acid reflex because, you know, this was the, the beginning of the fro-yo craze. Pink berries and yogurt lands were popping up everywhere. So of course, running marathons, you got to you know, you want a carbo load. So I was eating frozen yogurt every day. And then we're drinking two buck chuck, which was all the rave back then for, you know, poor actresses like me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm not a huge cook. So half the nights, you know, if I didn't go out, I'd be eating cereal for dinner. Kashi, it was healthy, right? Kashi cereal. Well, what I learned at Institute of Integrative Nutrition, not so much. So all of the things I was putting in my body led to this acid reflux reaction, changed my diet, acid reflux went away. So again, these are little things like, oh my gosh, awareness is key. I'm a smart girl. I went to Berkeley and UCLA, but I didn't realize that red wine, frozen yogurt, and cashy healthy cereal was making me acidic. Duh. So the next little stone on my path to create heal was I was taking a class at Agape. I was really into just the high vibrations that Agape was making me feel. So I took a class with Michael Beckwith because I wanted to learn more about meditation. And in that class, he told me, he told the class about the spontaneous healing story of a woman who had kidney failure. And she was on a donor list for, to get um, a kidney transplant. And so she took this class with, with, with Michael and, and they said, okay, let's, let's pray that you get moved up on the kidney list so that you can get a transplant and get two new kidneys. And Michael's like, well, why don't we just 
pray that your kidneys heal. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. My doctors told me that, you know, these kidneys, they've got to go and they're failing and it's just irreversible and incurable. And he's like, okay, well, but we're praying anyway and we've got to wait for you to move up the list. So why don't we just pray and manifest your kidneys healing? And she's like, well, okay, you know, whatever. So he had all of the people in the class, every time they went to the bathroom to give thanks for their healthy kidneys and then see this woman, let's call her Doris, give thanks for her healthy kidneys as well and visualize her with two healthy kidneys. And there was a couple other things that went into it. But long story short, he told me that this woman came back a month or two later and said, you'll never guess, but my kidney function is back to normal. So these are the types of stories that I heard along the way my whole life. Anything that has to do with spontaneous healing and defying odds and made my ears perk up and want to know everything they did. And the more I was learning about quantum physics and how everything is connected and how everything is energy, the more I just believed in my heart that so much more is possible. That led me to read the book Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. When I read this book and learned about epigenetics and how we're not victims of our genes, but actually our lifestyle, our subconscious beliefs and our environment actually determine which genes express. We can turn on sick genes through poor lifestyle choices and negative disempowering beliefs. And we can turn on health genes by empowering belief systems as well as healthy lifestyle choices. So when I learned that, I was like so empowered. And I said, everybody needs to know this. So about that time, I was, people would come to me and they'd be asking, what are you doing? How are you manifesting all this stuff? Why are you so damn happy? Why are you so healthy? How are you running marathons? And I just had this thought. I just had this thought, you know, the secret really impacted me. I grew up in film. I've always wanted to direct. And if I can just put all the teachers, Wayne Dyer, Bruce Lipton, Michael Beckwith, all the, Marianne Williamson, the people that changed my life, like drastically into one film to empower others with information and knowledge, then, you know, that's what I want to do. So that was where the, the vision came and the thought came, but I still wasn't ready to do it. A couple years passed by and I decide I want to go connect with Wayne Dyer because he was pivotal in my, you know, personal growth journey. And he was doing a writer's workshop on Maui with Anita Morjani. So I decided to read Anita Morjani's book before we go. And then I wanted to do this writing workshop. And I was hoping to connect with both of them um, to potentially be in the documentary. So I read this book, Dying to Be Me, by Anita Morjani. Just, I got chills all over my body. Her story is so remarkable. Um, I'm sure I'll interview on this podcast to get the full story because only a snippet of it could be in heel. But she turned around stage four cancer. Her body was in shutdown. I mean, she was halfway out the door, on death's door, in a coma, organs all shutting down, lemon-sized tumors from her neck down to her abdomen coming out of the skin. She had done chemo. She had done Western, Eastern. She had done it all. And her body now was just failing her. So the doctors were telling her husband and her brother and her family members to just, you know, say their goodbyes because she's on her way out. Well, she had a near-death experience in that coma went to the other realm, was aware of everything that was going on in the hospital room, even down the hall. She was aware. She was just in total consciousness. She was aware of her brother flying in um, from India. She saw him on the plane. Wild stuff that you can't explain. In this other realm, she met the essence of her father. And in life, they had a very tumultuous, tense relationship. And when she met him on the other side, 
there was none of that. There was zero judgment, zero negativity, just pure unconditional love that she said it's beyond any human language. You can't describe the love that she was feeling. Anyways, they had an exchange, obviously telepathic. It was just a knowing. And she realized in that moment that every decision she had made in her life was out of, was driven by fear. And that is how the cancer developed in her body. And her father told her, you must go back and heal and teach people what you know. And she said, I don't want to go back to that body. Like, whoa, you know, it's got tumor. It's riddled with tumors. It's suffering. It's been in pain for a long time. And this, I'm in bliss right now. I'm with my dad. I'm in unconditional love. And he said, your, your purpose is to go back. Uh, it's not complete yet. So she knew in that moment, if she went back into her body as you know, far gone as it was that she would heal. And that's exactly what happened. So when I read her story, I said, she is the poster child of possibility. If Anita Morjani's physical body can recover and transform just with a shift in consciousness, a powerful shift for sure, but just in a shift in consciousness, we all need to learn how to do that. We all need to find that recipe and heal. So within three to five weeks, within three weeks, all the cancer was gone from her body. And within five weeks, she was exited the hospital and now goes around the world sharing her story. And she is one of so many remarkable stories. And that's why I was finally ready to do HEAL, because I want to not only empower people with knowledge of how the body works, how intelligent it is, how we're all connected, and how if you get down to the atomic level, we are just waves of energy. And energy is more shiftable and changeable than matter. So it's changing our perception, changing our subconscious programming, and then strengthening our belief in possibility by sharing stories like Anita's, like so many that you'll hear on this podcast, that will strengthen if it's possible for one person, it's possible for all of us. So that is why I made Heal. I just truly want to help empower and inspire people. So many people are suffering. My heart goes out to people suffering, especially now in history. There's so much stress, anxiety. We've just gone through this pandemic. And I'm hoping that this podcast provides people with more empowering knowledge and more hopeful inspiration so that they too can change their lives and improve their health and heal. After I released Heal, I did the follow-up book because there was just, we were so limited about what amount, you know, I had 25 hours of interviews from these experts and I could only put so much in an hour and 45 minute film. So I released the book, which has twice the content taken from all these interviews. Um, and now I just think it's so important to continue the conversation. There's so many amazing doctors, healers, scientists, researchers, spiritual teachers out there doing incredible work and saving lives and innovating, you know, non-harmful, you know, side effect laden treatments. And I just think it's important. It's, it's more important than ever to continue that conversation and arm people with practical tools and knowledge and inspiration. That's my story. That's why I made Heal. I truly believe so much more is possible than we've been conditioned to believe. And I hope you guys find some answers that you're looking for on the Heal podcast. I really appreciate you for listening, for following, share with a friend, you know, rate us, review us so that we can reach more people in need of help. All right, guys, be well and thank you again. Thank you for listening to the Heal podcast. 
Be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear more empowering wisdom and inspiring healing stories. Oh, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that one episode that holds the answer you've been searching for. Follow us on Instagram for some behind the scenes fun and more inspiration at at Heal Documentary and at Kelly Gorris. Take care and be well. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.